Our reading this evening is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their own spiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is God's word. Good evening. Uh, my name's Phil, if, uh, if you're new here. Um, it's also Phil if you're not new. Uh, but uh, anyway, we are in Colossians 2 to 3. We've got a fabulous little feast ahead of us as we look at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll work our way through this passage. Great God in heaven, please would you help us to live by faith that we might believe and trust in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might tap into the resources of his spirit for your glory in our lives. Amen. Look, I don't know whether you uh, would use the religious language of sin or you perhaps are more familiar with the, the secular language of toxic habits and character defects. But whatever is more your language, we all long for the power to change, to be a better version of ourselves. And perhaps lockdown has made us uh, more keenly aware than ever of this, the time on our own. And you just find that there's some ugly habits that you keep falling back into again and again. Or perhaps it's uh, being cooped up with other people that we wouldn't choose to spend quite so much time with, whether it's uh, housemates or uh, whether it's a spouse or uh, the joys of being back with your parents for a few months unexpectedly. And you discover you are a whole lot less patient, a whole lot less kind, a whole lot more irritable and selfish than you had thought you were. It can be rather depressing to, to wake up and realise quite how flawed we are inside. And the question is, can we find power 
to be set free from unwanted desires, from unwanted patterns of behaviour. Now, I think for Christians, it's a particularly troubling question because we know that when you put your trust in Jesus, that you're also, as well as trusting his death, you're meant to follow his life. And yet, if you ask anybody who's been a Christian for longer than, I don't know, five minutes, they'll tell you that as much as we should be following him, we seem to spend most of the time falling flat on our face or going in the opposite direction. So what hope is there? Well, Colossians 3 celebrates that in the risen Lord Jesus, we find the power we long for to live more and more in the freedom and the fullness of God. If we're honest, whoever we are, whether we call ourselves Christians or not, here is a hope we desperately need. So Colossians 2, 16 to 23 Earthly rules can't empower heavenly living. That's what we learn here. Now, uh, we've already seen the Colossians are, are a bunch of Christians. You've made a great start in following Jesus. But then that rightful longing for more of God and that rightful sense of frustration with how little progress they seem to be making in the, in the fight against sin, it's led them to start to listen to some new teachers talking absolute rubbish, to be perfectly honest. And these are what these pseudo-Christian teachers are saying, we now learn in a bit more detail in these verses. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Rituals and rules, that's what uh, verse 16 is all about. It's language actually drawn from the Old Testament. And what's going on is uh, that these teachers are basically saying, look, you've made a great start with Jesus, but if you want to move into real spiritual fullness, and if you want to develop freedom from the sins that you can't seem to kick, what you need is to live by the rituals, the, uh, the beautiful formality of the traditions that you find in the Old Testament rules. But that just can't be right. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul says, no, 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 to, to turn to the Old Testament rituals is to go back, not to go forwards. They, they were a shadow of, of the reality that comes in Jesus. It's like trading in your Christmas presents for an advent calendar and not one with chocolate in. It's, it's just, why would you do that to trade the real thing for the sign that pointed to it? Verses 16 to 19 then move us on to another thing that's being offered. Uh, sorry, verses uh, 18 to 19. It's, uh, do you see about uh, worship of angels and, uh, and visions that they've had? It's about super spiritual experiences. Now, deep spiritual experiences are a very good thing because God is real. But these are just empty froth because they're not a deeper experience of Jesus in whom, as we saw last week, is all the fullness of God in bodily form. Now, they might be deeply moving to the individual. They might be deeply impressive to other people who hear about it. But there's nothing divine about them. 
There's no real connection with God. And so the last verses conclude things. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. Strict religious rules, they feel very spiritual. Cold showers, plain food, banning people from watching TV. Well, it feels like it really ought to help in the struggle with sin. I mean, a large part of sin is is kind of... um, controlling bodily desires. And so this is all about the brutal treatment of the body. That's got to help control sin, surely. Right? Well, wrong. Verse 23 continues. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That's the ultimate issue with these rituals and rules. They lack power. They don't do what they promise. And they fail because they're earthly, not divine. These rules tap into the mighty power of my self-control. Yeah, not so impressive. What we need is God's power. I mean, imagine a car, um, not some ULES compliant eco-hybrid. We're talking a serious gas-guzzling monster of an SUV with a 600 horsepower souped-up engine engine revving hard. It's the, you hear them most Sunday evenings actually outside here, uh, gunning out along Brick Street. That engine is your sinful desires. And what these teachers are offering is, we can help you work on the brakes, is basically what they're saying. Beefed up the cables and, and much bigger, stronger carbon discs. But the problem is, If that 600 horsepower engine is revving and revving and revving, beefed up brakes might last a little bit longer, but eventually the brakes will give the engine will go where it wants. And isn't that the experience that many of us know? That, well, we feel we're holding back an irresistible force of sinful desire. And, um, and while we might get stronger and, and resist for a bit longer than we used to, we just, it feels like we're just holding on, waiting for the time to, and I just want to have a bad day or I'm feeling weak or low. And as soon as I slip, the sin will happen. Whether rituals, the formality, the ceremony, the harsh ascetic experiences that deny pleasures, the ecstatic spiritual pleasures. Now, depending on your different temperament or upbringing, you'll be tempted by different ones of them. But the fundamental point Paul makes is, look, all of us long for more power to resist sin. (laughs) But this is just working on the brakes. It's never going to stop the engine. It's not moving to fullness in God and increasing freedom from sin. It's just becoming a slave again to to some old rules, human rules that have no spiritual power at all. Well, uh, now for an English comprehension exercise. Words that grab the attention in my experience of any congregation. 
Look with me at 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now look at 2 verse 23. They lack any value in restraining sensual, uh, sensual indulgence. So 2.23, these rules and rituals have no power to help you restrain sinful, sensual indulgence. 3 verse 5, so put to death sinful indulgence. What therefore must be in 3, 1 to 4 class? The power to restrain sensual indulgence. That's what it must say. The power to, otherwise, he's just said there's no power here, so fight. Well, he must in these verses tell us where the power lies. The freedom we long for. And what we learn about is the risen Christ. And we learn that in him we have a new identity and we have a new destiny and that should lead to a new obsession. And the more it becomes our obsession, the more we plug in to the almighty power of Jesus Christ. So a new identity, a new destiny and a new obsession. Look at 3, 1 to 4 with me. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, as we've seen again and again in Colossians, Jesus is, he is more than just the God up there. He's more than just the saviour who, who died back then. By faith, he is in us and we are in him. If you trust in Jesus, you have a new life, a new identity. And no matter what is happening to you in this world, no matter what struggles you might face as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you trust in Jesus, that is your new identity, your true identity, and it's true of you today. The question we face, though, is will I live by feelings or by faith? My feelings tell me following Jesus has not really changed me. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I still see this in the mirror. My feelings tell me I've got, well, not really any more power to fight sin now that I follow Jesus than I did before. I'm fundamentally the same person with the, the same weedy resources of self-discipline, the same deep, dark desires to sin. And they're still stronger than my desire to serve Jesus. That's what feelings tell me. But faith... Faith tells me something else. God's word tells me, if you trust in Jesus Christ, your life is now hidden with Christ in God and you are fundamentally free and new. Will you believe God or feelings? Your sense of identity drives your behaviour. And so the Christian says to sin, not just no, but the the Christian looks up to Jesus and then turns to sin and says, that's not who I am anymore. Not just no, but that's not who I am anymore. In Christ, we have a new identity. Secondly, in Christ, we have a new destiny. 
our today is different because of the resurrection life of Jesus. But as good as that is, thank the Lord, (laughs) this life is not as good as it's going to get. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day you and I will breathe out our last ever earthly breath. But that's not the last breath you'll breathe in. Because when Jesus returns, he will give us new bodies like his glorious body. Our bodies that will live forever in a world that lasts forever, with lungs that are strong enough to breathe in eternal air and, and knees and backs that will last for an eternity of dancing and running and playing. There'll be no more migraines. There'll be no more cancerous lumps, no more multiple sclerosis. And the moral transformation will be every bit as stunning as the spiritual transformation, as the physical transformation. There'll be no more shame from caving into filthy, lustful desires. In the new creation, you'll see the most just drop-dead gorgeous person. And your only response will be to praise God for such beauty. In the new creation, you'll, you'll see someone who is in this life was far more talented, far more successful, far more fortunate than you. And you won't feel a shred of envy or any of that dark desire that they just fall on their face once in a while. In the new creation, we'll be free of that self-obsession that makes us so boring and miserable and that wrecks so many of our relationships. Do you remember Jesus' response to the man who asked him, what is the greatest command? Many of us studied it in our midweek groups a couple of weeks ago. Jesus responded, The first and greatest command is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not only a command. It's also a promise. One day, you really will love the Lord your God with everything inside you. One day, if we trust in Jesus, we really will love other people every bit as much as we love ourselves. And that destiny, that tomorrow, well, it changes our today. Imagine someone moving abroad. You remember when that was a thing? They're uh, living here, but getting ready to move abroad. I mean, it changes how you spend your days. If you know, in a couple of months, I'm going somewhere where they speak a different language, and where the climate is wonderfully different. You, you start learning the language, following the news, buying different clothes. You don't invest in a gym membership for the year here when you're leaving in a month or two. That's just, that's just a, a silly, thin shadow of the reality Paul is talking about. I mean, we're not moving to the new creation for a gap year. We're going there forever, ever. We'll never, ever have a day when we won't be there. In Christ, we have a new identity, a new destiny, and in Christ, we have a new obsession. See, this this new identity, this new destiny, it ought to change how I think and desire. Look at verses 1 to 3 again. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
Do you notice each time Paul mentions things above, he then mentions Christ. He is the thing above that we're to set our minds upon. He is the key to our identity and our destiny. It's him that we're going to become like. And it's not just any old ideas about Christ either. It's Jesus in his resurrection glory. He, he's almost quoting Psalm 110 when he says, Christ seated at the right hand of God. Uh, the, the words from the beginning of the service uh, from Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. In other words, set your heart, set your mind on, on Jesus, the all-conquering mighty warrior whose enemies are so utterly defeated that all they can do is just lie on the floor for him to put his feet on while he's resting and watching telly. He is the, the one who has all the fullness of God living in him. The one who created all things and who is reconciling all the brokenness of our universe. He's the one who's utterly defeated Satan who would condemn you with his accusations. He's the one who is able to absorb the undiluted wrath of God on the cross and not be just obliterated by it. He's the one who even wrestled death into submission. When we're looking for the power to overcome our sinful desires, this is the Jesus we need to focus on. And not Jesus, my sort of supportive best mate who understands me, or Jesus, the, the heavenly boyfriend, or Jesus, the Father Christmas in the sky. But Jesus, the divine ruler. Jesus, the conqueror of all. The almighty Lord of life and destiny. Now, I was going to say that uh, the new identity and new destiny should lead to new thinking, which is partly what he says here, but that is too weak. It's not just your mind, he says. He says, set your hearts and your minds. In other words, this Jesus should consume our, our thinking and our loving. Our hearts and our minds. He should be our obsession if we see him clearly. Now we're told to set our hearts and minds on him. The verbs are active. See, although Jesus is the most praiseworthy, excellent, magnificent, glorious, beautiful being in existence... The appetites of our hearts and minds are distracted by Netflix and online shopping and, and just the relentless ping of notifications and dulled by daily worries and the corrupting influence of sin. And we just don't naturally delight in Jesus. And all around we, we see people with their hearts and their minds fixed on earthly things, things which, if we're honest, we find quite attractive. Earthly security comfort, earthly pleasures. And so we've got to take active steps if we are to set our minds and our hearts on Jesus above. And can I, uh, can I just gently suggest that we may not be very good at this. I think as a church and as Bible-believing evangelicals, we can often prioritize thinking clearly about Jesus Overthinking deeply about him. The whole point of understanding the Bible rightly and working out our theology carefully, which we must do, the whole point of it is so that we can then meditate deeply and worship wholeheartedly. 
And similarly, I, I wonder too whether when we do think about Jesus, if we do, we, we tend to focus on Jesus on the cross, on his death. Now, it's not an either or. We must focus on and think about the cross. It, that ought to be our obsession too. We must understand our justification, our redemption, our forgiveness. But do we have as deep an understanding of what his resurrection life means for us today, now? Paul says here, one of the chief sources for power in the fight against our sinful desires is to have our thinking and our desiring set upon the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The quotation we looked at from uh, the Puritan John Owen two weeks ago is worth repeating, actually, at this point. Let me read it to you. It should appear on the screen. The, The great Puritan writer John Owen wrote this. It is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified and built up in this world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow stronger and stronger. It is by faith that we grow to love Christ. So if we desire strong faith and powerful love, which give us rest, peace and satisfaction, we must seek them by diligently beholding the glory of Christ by faith. In this duty I desire to live and to die. On Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. To be honest, it is just a fundamental human principle. What you think about, what you love, what you worship, what you look forward to, what you daydream over, it shapes who you are today. That's true of careers. When you really want that job or promotion, you make sacrifices of time to study to work hard, to prepare, you sacrifice towards that goal. It's true of holidays. You remember those? The, that little bit more patient with annoying colleagues. Have you know, ever noticed, you know, in the couple of weeks before a holiday, it's just somehow a little bit easier to extend patience to annoying people because you can just close your eyes and you can see the ski slopes or the beach or the childhood bedroom in your parents' house, which is what holiday is for most of us at the moment. But When you're going somewhere wonderful, it it does change how you're able to live today. It's just a fundamental human principle. But, but here it comes with supernatural power. Because by faith we are joined to Jesus Christ and we truly share in his life and his power by the Holy Spirit. So if we come back to our, our car, the engine of sinful desire is still revving at 600 horsepower. And the rituals of Colossians 2 were just about working on the brakes. But Colossians 3 has a far more radical solution. It's plugging into the power of a new engine, one driving in the opposite direction and one powered by Jesus Christ. And I don't know how many horsepower that is. It's a lot, a very big number. It's more than 600 horsepower. We'll think more next week about what it looks like to fight our sin in the strength that Christ provides. But for this week, let's just think as we close, what can we expect? If, if we really can tap into Christ's power, what can we expect? Well, we can't expect perfection in, in this life. Uh, sin has a penalty, sin has a power, and sin has a presence. And the penalty has been completely taken. 
in Jesus' death and resurrection. The power of sin has also been completely broken. It no longer rules over us, but the presence of sin will always remain. We'll never be without sin in this life. So we will never be perfect. And also usually, usually we can't expect to be transformed overnight. It takes time to overcome sins. Many of us, if we're honest, we've spent years carefully nurturing and cultivating and clinging to various sinful habits. And if you like, we've we've worn deep ruts of desire and habit into our hearts and our lives, and we very easily fall back into those ruts. And it takes time to unlearn that, to wear new ruts in our hearts. Habits of holiness, not sin. It takes time for that to grow. Can't expect perfection. Can't expect overnight transformation, although in God's kindness, sometimes he gives it. But we can, as we've seen again and again in Colossians, we can expect more. I doubt any of us has really and fully leaned into the power of Jesus Christ in our fight against sin. But he is the key to the Christian life. And the closer our relationship with him, the deeper our our, our knowledge and love of him, the more we'll see his power at work in us. In one sense, it really is that simple. If you truly want his freedom and his power, then invest in knowing him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we not only have forgiveness for past sin, but we have his resurrection life now. Help us, we pray, to live by faith and not by feeling, to trust that his mighty spirit is at work in us. And so we pray that we would fight on living for your glory. And please, would you give us the joy and the encouragement this week of seeing the power of Christ at work in our lives. For your sake, ultimately, we pray this. Amen.